0: going on around here later this week. But for now, uh, we're going to invite you to take out your Bible or your Bible app, whatever works for you, and encourage you to listen to what God has for us uh, to say about our real identity. Are you all bummed about winter? It's like actually cold, and there's snow and all of that. Well, I hope, uh, or glad you are glad you made it out, braved the elements and came out to worship today. It's a good day. Glad to be with you. We're continuing this series called Fake ID. And in it, we are looking at some people from the Bible, some characters, if you will. They're not fictional characters. They're real people who lived uh, in real time and battled some of the same things that uh, we experience. And we're trying to figure out, like, who are they really? Who are they really? Uh, not just because we want to learn about figures from history, but because who they are, uh, and who God thinks they are, and says they are, and their experience with God has something to do with who we are. Who are we, really? And so that's why we're going through them. We started with Abraham last week, and got to discover uh, some of who he was. And all of the people that we're looking at, they, they go by different names, and you kind of got to figure out, like, what is their real Identity. What does their name have to do with what they are? And the Bible, you've got to pay attention to names, because the name matters in discovering who you really are. We're going to look at someone else today, um, and I'm going to introduce you to him in a way that I was kind of introduced to him, in a new and, and fresh way, and kind of a different experience. Um, I had a chance to go over to, they call it the Holy Land, right, over modern-day Israel, where a lot of the events, well, really all of the events of the Bible took place, And there's a lot of history over there, just kind of stacked, one uh, level of history on top of another. And it's kind of information overload when you're there, you're trying to remember all the things, the Bible events that are associated with a certain place and trying to, to manage all of that. But there's a way, it kind of has a way of being over there that you can meet the people of the Bible and kind of get to experience them in a new and different way. And I had that experience when I was over there. I'll kind of lead you through some of that. Because if you're going to find out who someone really is, you've got to get to know them, right? You've got to follow them along. You can't just have one encounter. You've got to kind of journey with them in life to discover who they really are. And that's true for any one of us. And I got the chance to do that. I'd like to tell you about one person in particular, and share some of the experiences that I had as I got to be in the places where this person walked and sort of experience again some of the things that this person experienced. Uh, so, be a little bit different today. I, I got a Bible. I hope you got a Bible. You got a Bible app. I'm not going to put verses on the screen. You're just going to have to take my word for it that the things I'm saying are actually in the Bible, all right? Unless you bring your own out and follow along for yourself. Uh, let me orient, orient you a little bit. This is a map of uh, Israel in the New Testament, and uh, it's kind of from down here in Jerusalem. It's probably a spot that's still Jerusalem today. Uh, The Jordan River runs down here, Sea of Galilee, and the Dead Sea down here. So the Sea of Galilee... Uh, I I was there, and when you're over there, anytime you're doing a tour of the Holy Land, a lot of the things your tour guide's telling you, well, it was somewhere around here that this happened. We don't know if this was the exact spot. I mean, it could have been over there, 500 feet away, or whatever. You're kind of somewhere in the vicinity of this biblical event happening. But when you're on the Sea of Galilee, like, it didn't move, okay? It's there. So you're on the Sea of Galilee. That's the place, where Jesus was. That's the place where Jesus' disciples were doing their thing. You know this is the spot. There's an event that uh, occurs there that maybe you've heard before. I'm going to go with you in Luke chapter 5. One day Jesus, he was standing by the Sea of Galilee right here. This is where Jesus walked. And people were crowding around him, he, they were listening to the word of God, and he saw at the water's edge there was two boats there left by the fishermen, and he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to a man named Simon, and he began to teach the people. And uh, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, who was a fisherman, he said, why don't you put out into the deep water and let the nets down for a catch? And Simon protests a little bit, he's like, Master, we've been, we've been working hard all night, we haven't caught anything. But I guess because you say so, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and they filled the boat so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. And I can relate to that feeling, and maybe you can too. Simon Peter was just a regular fisherman. He kind of did his thing out on the Sea of Galilee day in, day out. That's what he had prepared to do. And then all of a sudden, something different happens on this day. Someone different comes and says, hey, I want to borrow your boat. I want to use it to teach the people. And then he gives Simon some fishing advice unlike any he'd ever heard. And Simon recognized there's something different about this person. There is something godly about this person. And when he sees it, he says, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. In other words, what could you, possibly want to do with me ever felt like that before because you know who you are i mean we think we know who we are really and if other people knew that if god knew who we really were i mean what could he possibly want to do with us how could we and our lives and the messed up and broken sinful person that i am possibly have any kind of mix with god you ever felt that way before? That's how Peter, that's what Peter, uh, Simon Peter was gripped with. And all of his companions were astonished at the fish that they had caught. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. But then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. And so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Interesting how Jesus has a way of validating... uh, Simon's life at that point. I mean, he had given his life to fishing. That was probably the family business. He didn't know much else. He'd go out to that lake every day, and he'd go fishing. And Jesus says, you know what? There is something about everything that you have prepared for, everything that you have done in your life that can be useful, and here's how we're going to do it. Simon Peter begins to discover uh, where he first says, go away from me, Lord. That's not what Jesus was saying to him. He says, no, come close to me. I can use you. There's another thing that happens uh, on that lake. You've probably heard this story before. Jesus uh, had his disciples get into a boat he was teaching, and he sent them across the lake to go to the other side. He stayed back to pray, as you might expect Jesus to do. But shortly before dawn, Jesus uh, went out to them on the lake, you know, just walking on the lake, because that's what Jesus does. He just walks on the lake, okay? You just expect Jesus going to walk on the lake taking a walk how the son of god does it and when the disciples saw him walking on the lake they were terrified it's a ghost they said and they cried out in fear but jesus immediately said to them take courage it is i don't be afraid and then peter this simon peter said lord if it's you tell me to come to you on the water and everybody's got to be going like who is this guy to tell me to come to you on the like that's water nobody's ever walked on water before and peter has has the courage has the strength to say tell me to come to you on the water and the lord said come and then peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward jesus but when he saw the wind he was afraid and he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out in his hand and he caught him. He said, you have little faith, why did you doubt? My daughter had a basketball game this weekend and I was just giving her my dad pep talk. You know, I said, don't, don't worry about making mistakes. You just, if you're going to make mistakes, make aggressive mistakes. All right. You just, you just go after it. You get your nose in there. If you're going to make a mistake, then you make it full on and you just do it. All right. And Peter kind of looks like he's approaching life with that attitude. You know what? I could get out of this. Jesus is right here. If he says I can walk on the water, then I can walk on this water. And you find Peter, he's this well-meaning guy. He has these ambitious goals. And maybe we do too. We have things that we're going to do. You know what? Jesus said I could do this. I can do this. And so I'm going to step out of this boat. I'm going to take this chance. I'm going to go take that thing. But then the wind and the waves challenges present themselves when we get out of the boat it doesn't seem like exactly like it was when we started on this mission and we lose sight of the thing that brought us out there in the first place and then we get timid we're not going with the same uh, aggression and gusto and intensity at this thing that we said that we could do we start getting distracted by all of the things that the world is challenging us with and we lose sight of what got us out there and we begin to sink and so you start to wonder who is peter really is he this conquering guy, this guy that can step out and walk on water and trust Jesus no matter what? Or is he just kind of this, you know, means well, but doesn't really follow through? Who is he really? Find out uh, a little bit more uh, in another place that I was at. It's a little bit north of the Sea of Galilee. So you go up here, up in Caesarea Philippi. And the Jordan River flows all the way down here. The headwaters of the Jordan River are up north a little bit. And so you go to that place, think about a picture of Banyas Falls. It's one of the headwaters of the Jordan River. And it's a beautiful waterfall. And you get down in there, there's tourists everywhere, but you, it, it is a place where you can kind of get lost in just the sound of the rushing water, the, the freshness and the, the energy, the life that comes because it's springs of life and they're flowing uh, water there. Uh, so it's a beautiful place and it was a great setting, uh, one that Jesus had retreated to with his disciples. You read about it in Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? Because he'd been doing his thing for a while. He'd been teaching, healing, and demonstrating this authority and this ability to teach the people. And so word was starting to get around. And he said, what are the people saying? What do you hear them saying about me? And they replied, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus said, what about you? You've been with me? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered. Simon, always the first one to speak up. He's going to be the lead voice. He's ready with an answer. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. This is where the name change comes. I know your mama gave you the name Simon, but I'm telling you, your name is Peter, which means rock. What I see in you, Peter, you are a rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. You ever answered right? you ever been in class and the teacher was looking for the answer and she was scouring the class or he was scouring the class trying to find the right answer and you gave it. You answered right. Or you, you did the thing. Your coach was directing you and what to do and you did it exactly how you were taught and the coach is pleased with you. Or you scored one big for the company and the boss is pleased with you. Or your parents are so proud of you because you answered right and you get to just own that moment and say, you know what, I did it right. Different from the last encounter where Peter finishes that having started off boldly and then failed and Jesus looking at him and saying, you have little faith, why did you doubt? Those aren't the words that come this time. Jesus is proud of Peter. Yes, you have answered correctly. And on this rock, I will build my church. That sounds about right, doesn't it? Speaking of building churches, one of the things that they do over in the Holy Land is they build a church at every site that, uh, that anything ever happened at, they they build a church there uh, to commemorate the, some event. And that's one of the things that you discover. You, you kind of go over there expecting to see this rustic sort of um, ancient landscape, but you don't. You see all these churches sort of, they, they take the landscape and they start building a place, a, a monument to this thing that happened. And they, they built a church uh, at this place down in Jerusalem, uh, which is a little bit, South. Uh, Go ahead and put that map back up here. Uh, The other map. The map. There we go. They built a place uh, down here in Jerusalem. Built a church there that uh, remembers this event. It's a little more intense moment. Jesus is again with his disciples, but he's now at the end of his his life. Really, he's about to go to the cross, and so um, certain kind of gravity to the moment. And uh, his disciples are there with him, sharing in, in a last meal. And then he has to get down to talking about some pretty serious stuff. And he, that's where he says, one of you is going to betray me. And they're trying to figure out, and, and figure out what this would be. And then he even says in um, Matthew 26, Jesus told them, this very night, in fact, you will all fall away on account of me. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've risen, I'll go ahead of you into Galilee. Now Peter, again, Peter's always the first one to speak up, right? Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly truly I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Oh, but Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. We've all said the same, probably. Oh, even if everybody else fails, I won't. No, even if everyone else bails because the challenges are too hard or they they give in to temptation, I won't. We say those things to God. We, We mean really well. We have great intentions about how hard after Jesus we're going to follow. About the kind of level of commitment that we're going to give to Jesus. We have all of those good intentions. Even if all fall away, I won't, Jesus. A little later that night, um, out in a, a courtyard, a courtyard that now looks like this. There, there's this, there's this statue there. So This is uh, one of the Roman soldiers that had seized Jesus. He was now at the house of Caiaphas and was being beaten and kicked and, you know, they're hitting him with the butt of their swords and whipping him and so forth these are a few kind of people in the crowd that are wondering what's all this ruckus about and curious about what's going on late at night and this is this is peter one of the disciples, we don't know where all the disciples were at that moment, but they had to be thinking, boy, you know, this is Jesus. They had put their hope in Him. They had thrown their lot in with Him. Remember, Peter left the nets and followed Jesus, said, I want to make my life about what you're about. And now they see that Jesus getting kicked and beaten and tossed around like a rag ragdoll. And they're starting to think, boy, this isn't all it was cracked up to be, maybe. And there's Peter there in the crowd, This is at a church now. This is a church that was built in this spot to commemorate this event. Peter was sitting out in the courtyard. Servant girl came to him. You were also with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all said, I don't know what you're talking about. And then he went out to the gateway. Another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow, this guy was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely, surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. And then he began to call down curses on them and swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. You know what the name of this church is? Peter Gallicantu. You know what Gallicantu means? Rooster crow. For all time and all eternity, for tourists all over the world to come and visit the Holy Land, there is a monument to Peter's greatest failure. Are there any monuments to your failure that have been set up? you feel like there's statues that have been built uh, commemorating your failures? Maybe they're dragging you down. You just can't. You just can't shake them. They've been erected for all to see, or at least for you to see, a divorce that was your fault. Maybe it was. But you just can't forgive yourself. There's a monument that's been erected to your failure. That way that you cheated, that big failure that you had at work, you just can't ever forgive yourself for it. All the things that you did or didn't do for your kids. All the failures that you had as a parent. Maybe there's just one failure. If I only would have done this, that would have made a difference. That would have turned the course for my child. But it's my fault. I didn't do it. There's been a monument erected to your failure in your mind. Or maybe it's on the other end of life. Someone that you miss. Maybe an aging parent. A dying parent. The things that you feel like you did or didn't do. The failures that you've had in that relationship. The things you did or didn't say to that person before They left. You got these things that have been erected in your mind, and you're just wondering what good could possibly what what good am I? Well, on the one hand, I'm telling you, it can't be as bad as this. (laughs) A statue built for everyone, all to see, in the spot. Remember what happened here? Oh, yeah. This is where Peter wet himself and totally denied ever knowing Jesus after he said, Oh, Jesus, I'll never do that. I don't think that when Jesus said on this rock I will build my church that this is the kind of rock that he or Peter had in mind. Failure chiseled out of a rock. Established for all to see. And this is where Peter's got to again be thinking. He he went outside and wept bitterly. The thing's going through his mind as he remembering that moment. Jesus said, why did you doubt? You of little faith. He's got to be playing those things in his mind. He goes back to that first one where he should. you know what? When I said, go away from me, Lord, what could you possibly have to do with me? I should have just left it as that because it's obvious. What could you possibly have to do with me? Because obviously I have distanced myself from you. Who knows what was going through his mind that moment? And so we got to ask again, who is he really? Who are we really? Are we the people that have a bold faith and that will do anything for the Lord and say, no, even if everyone else fails, even if everyone else gives into temptation, I never will, Lord. Or are we the people that go back on our word, that are kind of wishy-washy, that don't really have what it takes when the moment comes? Who are we really? What could God possibly want to do with us? There's another place that I remember... Uh, visiting it's back up on the shores of the sea of galilee and here it is the shore of the sea of galilee and the story is told in the book of john chapter 21 it's interesting when you read the book of john so you got the gospels that tell the story of jesus matthew mark luke john john's the last one and it kind of comes to the end in chapter 20 it says jesus did many other signs i suppose if even if all of them were written down the world couldn't even hold all the books that would be written. It almost seems like the story comes to an end. And then it tells this one more. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and it happened in this way Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, sons of Zebedee, two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter, Simon Peter told them. It's interesting, we don't know what that meant. I'm going out to fish. I mean, that was his life pre-Jesus. And so now, this whole thing with Jesus has happened. He, uh, He died, and some women went to the tomb and said he wasn't there. We went to the tomb ourselves, and he wasn't there. We're kind of trying to figure out what in the world does that mean. Simon says, well, I'm going out to fish. That's what I do. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you caught any fish? which a fisherman's got to love hearing that, right? Someone from the shore. We've been out here all night, and someone on the shore says, Hey, haven't you caught anything? (laughs) Thanks, pal. Appreciate it. What's even better, they say no, and then the person on the shore starts giving them advice. Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find that you'll catch some fish. Oh, thanks. Thanks for the advice. Appreciate that. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. And somebody in the boat says, We've been here before. Th- th- this has happened before. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him, Simon Peter heard him say that, he wrapped his outer garment around him because he'd taken it off and he jumped into the water. And he, he goes to shore. The other disciples followed him, towing the net full of fish because they weren't far from shore, about 100 yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there where the fish uh, were on it. So you can imagine, that's the shore. The fire, the fish on it, and some bread. And Jesus said, bring some of the fish you caught. So Simon Peter climbed back in the boat. He dragged off uh, the net. There was, it was full of large, a lot of fish, 153. But even so, the net was not torn. And Jesus said, come have some breakfast. of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was Jesus. Jesus came and he took the bread. He gave it to him, and he did the same with the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. But but you know, that, that's not kind of the end of it, because there's this thing we've got to deal with, right? The last time we saw Peter was at that moment in that courtyard uh, when he had denied him. It's kind of the elephant in the room. We need, to, we need to deal with that. Three times they said, you you were with Jesus, you know Jesus. No, no, I don't. That's not me. you got the wrong guy. And Jesus is willing to go there. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. But yes, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, someone will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Which is the same thing he said to him when they first met. And we got this thing going on again where uh, we, we're trying to figure out what could I possibly have to do with Jesus? Or rather, what would Jesus possibly want with me? Right back to the same place where we started, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, trying to figure that out. And Jesus puts it out there. He gives his answer. According to him, this Peter is still useful. In fact, that's the point. This is not just a forgiveness moment. We we can all think of those times when we have had someone that has wronged us or we've wronged them. And maybe it was a really big deal. And we come to this moment and there is forgiveness there, but we don't Probably sustain that relationship going forward. Or at least not with the same closeness, right? You can think of those times that I'm talking about. It, it was such a, a big deal, and you know what's like I can forgive you, but let's kind of go our separate ways. Let's keep a little bit of distance between ourselves. I, I can still forgive you, and, and all of that's fine. This is not one of those things. Jesus doesn't just say, I forgive you, and then let's kind of move on with life. Jesus says, I forgive you, I still want to use you, there's work to be done. Tend my sheep, feed my lambs, shepherd my flock, I need you, Peter. Jesus puts his cards out there. And so then you you go to Peter, who again has to be thinking, what could Jesus possibly want from me. This this would be another moment. We're right back at the same spot where we started, where he said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And that would be a justifiable response, you would think, in this moment. After what I have done to Jesus, what could he possibly want from me? And Jesus says, follow me. So Peter is left, with again, with that choice, or, or, or that discovery that God God still wants to use me? After all of the the well-meaning things that I've done and then turned out to be a failure, God still wants to use me? You know, I see this uh, in real life when I sit around my my small group. I've got a group of guys that I meet with, and there is this kind of continual discovery of God can use me. Sitting there in a room full of a bunch of guys, many of whom many of whom grew up around here, and they have sort of a past life. Okay, they have people right around here that knew them from a past life, and they still sort of mix it up with those folks. And it's kind of uh, difficult for them to think like that was their identity. And those people know like who they really are and all of their failures and their sinfulness. They kind of think, oh, I know who this person really is, but. Then they're coming into this new uh, existence of following Jesus and trying to uh, lead their life in a new way, obeying Him. And this continual discovery, I can see it as they light up, as we study the Word and as we challenge each other to be leaders in our homes and in our church, and this continual discovery of God can use me, even me. And it's the same thing that Peter discovered in that moment. Thinking back through all of his failures. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I I start off well and I mean well, but I fail. And I say I'm going to do something and I fail. And I don't live up to the person that I want to be. But yet Jesus in that moment says, You are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. Here's the thing. God builds His church with broken rocks. And no other kind. He doesn't use perfect people. So if you're someone who's got a story to tell, if you've got monuments to your failures that go like crazy, big and tall and lots of them, Jesus says, that's the only kind of people I use to build my church. And not only does He say, I forgive you, let's just kind of go our separate ways, Jesus says, I need to use you. There's work to be done. Tend my sheep. Care for my flock. There is work to do, and I need you. Jesus builds His church with broken rocks and no other kind. That's good news, right? Unless you all are a bunch of perfect people, in which case there's not much to say to you. (laughs) Go and have a good life. And about that church, you get to the end of John, and Jesus has kind of done His thing. Died, raised, and then you turn to the book of Acts. And Jesus ascends into heaven. The leader, the one who started this movement, and and now he's gone. And it's kind of a chaotic time. You read there in the book of Acts, um, they've lost one of their disciples, Judas. And so there's new leadership coming on board, and people don't exactly know what they should be doing. It's kind of a chaotic time. And then you read about this experience. The Holy Spirit comes down and manifests in this amazing way. People start speaking in different languages and understanding, and everybody thinks, what are these people, drunk? That could be the only explanation for what's going on here. And it's kind of this swirling of activity. The leader's gone. And if you've ever been in a situation, you know when there's a void of leadership, oftentimes the first person to speak up kind of just fills that void. And that could be a person that fits within the character and purpose of the previous leader, or it could be someone that steers it in a whole other direction. But often the first person to speak up just kind of becomes the leader. There's this, there's this void. Something's hanging in the balance. What's going to happen? Jesus is gone. There's all of this chaos. Who's going to bring order to it? Acts chapter 2.14 Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. And the rest, as they say, is history. That moment has led to where we are today. A church full of broken rocks founded by a man that was a broken rock when it was hanging in the balance, when the leader was gone, when we didn't know what to do and there was chaos and someone needed to speak into that moment and fill the void, then Peter, broken rock that he was, failure that he was, opportunities that he'd missed, Peter stood up and addressed the crowd and set the church on the right course. You've probably got something hanging in the balance in your life right now. There, there is a void, and someone needs to speak into it. There is some chaos, and someone needs to, to make sense out of it. Someone needs to bring order to it, and we're waiting for someone to do it. And you could say, oh, I'm just a failure. Oh, I always try to start something, and then it never works out the way I want to. Oh, I've tried before, and I've failed. But someone's got to step into it, and someone's got to have the confidence to say, you know what, I am going to follow Jesus in this moment. I'm going to bring God's perspective in this moment because I don't know who else will. And after all, there are no perfect people that are going to swoop in and do that because God only uses broken rocks to get done what He wants to do in the world. There are no other kind that are useful to God. So let that be an encouragement to the church today that is filled with broken rocks. We've all got our monuments for the failures that we've had. We all could say, what could God possibly want to do with me? Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful woman. But if we said that, there would be no church to speak of because God only uses broken rocks and he wants to use you. Let's pray. God, thank you for the truth of your word and thank you for the story of Peter. Thank you for uh, his, uh, his boldness and his eagerness to go out and serve you and to make promises and to put himself out there and take a chance. And thank you even for his failures. We can relate to him.